Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether you are on YouTube or you're listening on your favourite podcast app. And uh, here we are. <laughs> welcome back, guys. And welcome back, Tim. Haven't been on for a while. Yes. How are you? Oh, much better. Thank it's you. Good. Yeah, yeah I had two weeks of the flu. Two weeks? Yeah. That's a it long was, time it for was the flu. terrible. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I'm never sick. And so uh, every year it's like, do you want the flu shot? Roz gets it free with work. So I'm like, oh, should I go and get it? And I'm like, oh, no, if I get a cold, I always bounce back. In right. a couple of days, it's fine. I just got strung out. It was, yeah. So was that like one week of the flu and one week of man flu? Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't buy into the man flu propaganda. No. I, I have one sick. week of symptoms <laughs> and one week of complete exhaustion. Really? Was, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, it does suck. Yeah. But I'm back. Right. Good. For is the week, reason you're back is because um, after the last week's episode, you need <laughs> to fire up about something. <laughs> you know, I've, got, you know, I've got beef with the shoe. I'm just trying to create something controversial. Really. Yeah, no, that's all right. Well, we, there was a, a small moment in time we thought Stu wouldn't be here, which would then make it about five or six weeks in a row that we wouldn't be at the same table. So uh-huh. I was trying to think of some creative idea of yeah why we couldn't be seen in the same room at the same time mm. <laughs> it's like harry and megan rumors about their relationship because oh. they're not seen at the same time oh really people might start saying we're not friends anymore yeah maybe that's it that we're avoiding each other because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you would definitely know. get as much attention as harry and megan uh, almost as much yeah <laughs> yeah all those internet rumors about why we haven't been yeah. on the mm. have you been together. have you been papped on your balcony just from where you live you know just they're always well, camping maybe, out and taking, maybe, a, taking maybe, a photo. Yeah. I mean, I reckon if you camped out at the kindergarten that's across the road, you could probably get some direct shots uh, straight up. So, I mean, our, our balcony's pretty high up, so I reckon if you... That's what I mean. Yeah, you could be uh, almost anywhere in Kiriwa. You've got one of those massive lenses that they have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah, you could be anywhere in Kiriwa where you get those shots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just... Oh, um, this oh. is you. you Me? Yeah. I just asked if you've been if you've been <laughs> taking photos off. Not as far as I know. So I was at the end, so I should have given five right. minutes ago. Stu. <laughs> Hi guys. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> you have a you have a balcony where you live is um like you could you could get some quite yeah, interesting shots a, I, from I there or, or on there. Yeah, I have a house on the hill. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's is a unit, unit on the hill. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, not a unit. No, not a unit on the hill, is it? It's we're a, a you're unit, a unit block. Well, yes. Yes. Is there a more salubrious name for that? I don't know. Uh, apartment. You know how apartment? they call like uh, you know how they call like um, nursing homes a retirement community. All oh, right. I was just thinking of a name like we're, that. Well, we're we're a village. We're yeah. a vertical village. Vert- <laughs> there you go. Vertical. Yeah. That sounds salubrious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> vertical village. That sounds like <clears throat> from the Fifth Element or something like that. Ah, yeah. Uh, Tim, there was a TV show that you no a book that you've been reading that you thought you'd like to share. <laughs> well, I said I've been reading a book and I hadn't worked out a connection yet. And you said we'll go with it anyway. So, um, no, no, don't been, give him a peek behind the curtain. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's professional. Um, no, I just been uh, reading a book uh, while I was sick on East Germany. It's called uh, Beyond the Wall um, by a, a German historian. Grew up in East Germany, now lives in England. Um, does a lot of journalism, history writing stuff. Um, and she wrote this book about East Germany. And it was a fascinating take. One of the – there's um, – the, the controversy around East Germany um, since reunification is do you talk about it or do you not talk about it? And there's been mm-hmm. a lot of history which has tried to imagine it's not there. Um, and so even to the point, so um, Angela Merkel, the previous chancellor 
um, who was one of Germany's longest reigning mm. and successful politicians by a number of different markers. So she grew up in East Germany, had spent a lot of her life there. Didn't um, know that. Yeah, so she, and, well, and this is the thing, was that she never talked about it. Um, oh. And it almost never came up because she didn't make much of it. But I think it was her exiting speech, she made some comment about, uh, almost apologetic about her growth, you know, her times growing up in East Germany. Um, and then there's also at the moment there's controversy in the way that politics runs in Germany and you can pick almost any demographic, um, plot it against the uh, map of Germany. You've still got really great big divides on opinions about food and politics and immigration and uh, religion and all sorts of different things. And so there's uh, reunification happened in 1990. So it's been, uh, what's that, 30 something years uh, since reunification, and yet there's a lot of long-standing um, divide that still happened culturally, politically, mm. etc. It's interesting. And so they're trying to dig into this, and um, Katya, um, who's the author, she tells his story of East Germany and is oscillating back and forth between the, the, the reigning party and the really strong ideologies of how things should work uh, and then she's also just telling a lot of stories of on the ground. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stories she's telling about on the ground, just people trying to live, is that there was this just resigned, uh, well, this is just life, so we'll just get on with it. And so most of the populace weren't highly engaged in ideology, weren't highly engaged in politics, similar to you know, most countries. I mean, most Australians aren't engaged in politics. So most East Germans weren't engaged in politics. They didn't feel very strongly about being a socialist state. They just kind of got on with life. Um, and it's also, she talks about the, there's interesting metrics. Because it was a socialist state, there are certain things that um, the East Germany um, had greater proportions of than even West Germany did. So there were particular points in time where there was uh, greater wealth happening. That was only short-lived, but there was little moments of that. Um, but in, other what, in what, just for our younger viewers too, if you're not aware, after the Second World War, Germany got partitioned in half. And yeah. half of it went with the French, English and Americans in three different quarters and one half of it was, the other quarter was the Russians. Yeah, that's the right. USSR, rather. Yep. So the communist regime had half of Germany, but then Berlin was sort of stuck in the middle of the communist sector. So Berlin itself was divided in two, which was incredibly awkward, and then had four sectors within Berlin yeah, as well. Right. So there was a wall between the Western conquering powers and the USSR, and so the Russians lived under... Sorry, the East Germans, East Germans lived yeah. under the communist state and were brought up as communists, mm. and the the other side had democracy and so that was a capitalist yeah, yeah. half so yep. it was it was pretty pretty uh, te uh tetchy there for a second too because they had to airdrop supplies into mm. west berlin at one stage and so there's a whole heap of interesting stuff that people can look into but mm. so you're saying that after reunification in 18, uh, 1980. Uh, so the war comes down in 1989 and then all of the formulation of actual reunification happens in early 1990. Right. Mm. So early 1990s, they reunify Just become one Germany, state. Germany. And yeah. this book's about kind of the legacy that's not spoken about. Well, yeah, so it's, it's the history much. of East Germany. So she goes from um, 
you know, the, the end of the Second World War um, when Berlin and, and Germany get split up mm. and she goes all the way through to 1990. Mm. She, she tells that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. So not so much the sociological impacts of... No, that, there's kind of a, a coda at the end where she okay. talks about that interesting. a little bit. Yeah. What's the book yeah. called? Uh, so it's called Beyond the Wall. Yeah, right. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And yeah. what do you think you learned from that, Tim? Well, I mean, it, it's... I, um, when I was a kid, I collected stamps uh, and <coughs> in the early 80s. And so we had, I think this is where I learned most of my geography from mm. because you get stamps from yeah, all over the world. Yeah. Uh, and so I sort of had this awareness um, in the mid 80s that there were two Germanys because I collect stamps mm. and, and dad would explain to me, oh, yes, yeah, because there's two different countries. And I think that's about as much as I knew. And I think up until I've read this book, it's probably about as much as I knew <laughs> about the two different Germanys uh, was that they existed because I had stamps from different countries. And so there's a huge part that I just didn't know too much about that. And yeah. part of this is just I'm just trying to read heaps about Germany because it's where my ancestors come from. And so I'm trying to understand myself and our family story through that a little bit. So that was really fascinating. Um, uh yeah, it was just it was interesting just finding out the details of that. I haven't really drawn any threads particularly from that at the moment. Um, it was one of the interesting things was how uh, disinterested Stalin was. Uh, so he was um, the ruler of, of Russia and the USSR, um, and the sort of the, the head communist leader in Eastern Europe. He wasn't particularly interested in a communist East Germany. He would have actually preferred a demilitarised, unified Germany that wasn't a threat but also wasn't with NATO. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, so that was one of the things they draw out. But the leaders of East Germany, they had spent most of the war over in Russia um, in exile um, because um, the Nazis were trying to kill off the socialists as well. Yeah, they were. Um, and so a lot of the socialist, uh, communist leaders had spent the war over in um, Russia. Wow. They, and they were just enamoured with Stalin mm. and just absolutely loved everything and it was, it was not reciprocated. <laughs> he didn't care too much about them. <laughs> right. And so they come back and they go, oh, Stalin's so amazing, we should need to create a, a communist state just like Stalin's done. And he's like, yeah, I really don't care. Too. He put up with them, but he wasn't super excited about mm. them. But they kind of drove the idea of still having, the, uh, still having East Germany. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm. So they were really passionate about having a strong... Communist state. Uh, communist state mm. and Stalin uh, wasn't all that interested in, uh, so that was a mm. interesting. But it was interesting to think about the way that um, the impact of ideas, and that was a big thing about the Cold War, right? That you've mm. got these competing ideas of how to run you know, economies, countries, everything, and air, and just the impacts that it has all the way through, mm. um, and all of the the both known and unknown repercussions mm. of ideas. Uh, and that plays out in the history of East Germany versus West Germany. When the war comes down, it becomes really apparent the different lives that they had been living. And a lot of the story is told that the, the impoverished East Germans, um, because they had lived in a communist state, a socialist state, where everything was really highly regulated, um, didn't have market capitalism. And so we're missing out on a lot of the... Um, the consumerist perks of a capitalist state. And so she draws that out really clearly. Um, but then she also draws out some interesting um, 
counterpoints where, uh, for example, because of the flattening of everything in, in a communist country, uh, they had much higher female university engagement. So they had um, huge numbers of women in universities mm. because everything was tried to flatten out. You try and flatten out class, you try and flatten out gender, you try and flatten out everything. And so there were a whole lot of other markers that West Germany didn't um, achieve. And also because they try and flatten out um, everyone is the same economic value, <laughs> you, you have a whole lot of... Then therefore, women in the workforce is really important. And so they had 80 to 90% female employment, um, but in the, in the West had nowhere near that. So there's a whole lot of other things that came out um, through that time that you kind of go, oh, there's some interesting repercussions of mm. different systems and different understandings of who are we an economic people or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, what that means. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Thanks for inviting us. It was interesting how you said it's, it's all about the the battle next to the how ideas are shape shape things are happening and i thought that was a that's a very good segue yeah into what we're going to talk approaches approach. different what we're talking about today and how they affect holistically a whole yeah yeah because yeah, yeah, i think a lot of people we, if you just tuned in this week last week we're talking about different models of youth ministry and <coughs> we made the point that uh, there's a youth ministry thinker mark center who says that the way you set up your youth ministry will affect the ha- the whole of your church so mm-hmm. Another way of thinking about it is not that the youth ministry is going to dictate the church, but the decisions the church makes on how it brings up its young people is going to shape the rest of the, mm. the church. So yeah. there's different ways of looking at it. And um, yeah, some people say there's just principles in youth ministry. There's not different models, but I, I think it's a, a creative thing that there are different models. There's, it's not a, you know, even when those models come into conflict with each other, it actually gets people thinking and talking and asking questions on how can we best disciple and mission to young people. And today. principles necessarily create models. I mean, I okay. think it's... Yeah, that's interesting. You, know, you, you put a certain number of pieces together and you end up with a something at the end. Yeah, so and yeah, the, how you put those pieces mm. together mm. will end up with a particular model. And, you know, Joel and I talked a few weeks ago when you were you about how metaphors shape ministry. And it's, it's the same, like you, you end up with a... A metaphor, you call it an, an approach, a mm. model, whatever it is, but it it is shaping mm. so much of how you end up doing church, um, and because of the importance of ministry to young people, as you say, centres you know how mm. you how you do ministry to young people does impact and shape mm. the entire church. Mm. And again, I think the one of the reasons why we're interested in this mm. is because we all grew up in various ways through a youth ministry before planning a church, which is why we're kind of thinking a lot about it. So you dropped a bombshell last week about how you... feisty. <laughs> downright feisty, as I called the title. Well, they called um, the four views of youth ministry with those four writers. Uh, I was just wondering, you said that you think your, th- your thoughts are starting to think more about how the strategic approach might be what Sora Bobber was rather than having to explain it being like meeting around like four, all those four views. Has your... Uh, have you had any extra thoughts on that? Yeah, so so last week we talked about Mark Center the Third's book, Four Views of Youth Ministry, and that book came it came out at the turn of the century, so it's a little bit old now, but it uh, is still a very good book. And we said last week that if you don't read any other book in youth ministry, I actually think that's a great book to read to really start thinking through youth ministry. Um, it had four different approaches, and one of the approaches uh, I, I shared last week that I didn't 
actually consider very deeply at the time was the strategic approach. And the strategic approach to youth ministry was what Mark Centre wrote about where he, he, he seems to me in the book to say that he, he doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence that, that adult congregations can change and that they're going to be pretty fixated on passing on their culture as well as the gospel to the next generation. His point is that culture changes and young people should have the freedom to express uh, Christianity in some ways that are relevant to culture and Christ in their generation with theological continuity from the past. And I wasn't a fan of his approach when I first read it from the strategic point of view because he said that youth ministries can plant churches because the church isn't going to change culturally and the solution is that the young people plant their own church. So presumably the youth minister and the youth leaders and the youth plant their own church when they're old enough to do it. But then that seemed to me to be that that'll be a perpetuation of then the next generation will have to plant a church and then the mm. next and the next. And mm-hmm. it made me a bit sad because I thought, well, local churches should be families that have continuity. Now, the interesting thing about Santa's approach is he's actually building continuity into it because he says that what he calls uh, modernist approaches to, to church ministry that are preparing young people to be the church of the future to just take on the culture of the church when they grow up can lead to young people being marginalised and being at the peripheries of church. He goes as far as to say that the young people in the church might be more like foster children rather than actual natural children of the church because the church doesn't actually listen to their views until they're in their 30s. So his solution is, well, you know, let's get a church to plant. So I used to think, no, that's not a great idea. Like we should work together at unity and staying together in the local church. And so growing up as a youth minister, over 20 years, I never considered Sorrel to be part of the strategic approach. We are going to look, um, start talking about this week and next week about the other approaches too. But broadly speaking, he, he, you know, he looks at the ideas of Milan Nell, which is called inclusive congregational, which is intergenerational. And I used to think to myself, well, we have aspects of that in Soul Revival because we're an intergenerational church. He looks at Chap Clark's idea of youth ministry which is called the missional approach where you go out and do mission to young people outside the church and again Soul Revival had some elements of that and I liked that and the preparatory approach was that you actually have Sunday schools and youth groups and kids church and things like that to bring the kids up to become adults uh, and prepare them to be the church of the future and Soul Revival had some aspects of that because we had you know youth group for kids in year 7 and 8, year 9 and 10, year 11 and 12 and they'd kind of graduate into Saturday night and the Sunday service at church where they would kind of become part of the friendship group of Soul Revival as they got older. So I used to think, yeah, there's elements of that too. So for many years I've been looking at the four views of youth ministry as Soul Revival kind of being a fifth model with aspects of each of those models in Soul Revival. And we call our model the shock absorber model, which is about adults and young people listening to each other and working together like a shock absorber in a car needs to be strong and flexible the older people in the church the adults who have a lot more biblical wisdom are like the the steel of the the strong the strength and the steel of the shock absorber whereas the young people they're kind of like the flexibility so a shock absorber can't be too strong and it won't be flexible and it can't be too flexible or it'll break because it needs to be strong so in our approach we bring young and old people together to work together so for ages I've been thinking well, we're not the strategic approach because we never intended to church plant 
But then we found ourselves in 2010 being asked um, to consider church planning. After I left Geimer Anglican, our bishop asked us to plan a church. And then our church planning organisation in the Anglican Church, ENC, invited us to church plant. And the head of ENC invited or actually asked our mother church if we could be uh, gifted 30 people from our church to come to plant the Soul Revival Church. And so... I was not going to ask people to come and join, but 30 people approached me and I took that list back to the minister at Guymere and said, are you happy with these people coming with Soul Revival? And he said, yeah. Um, And they turned out to be majority of people who had been in youth ministry leadership and in the youth group and some other people too. Mm. So the reason last week I said that I'm interested in re-looking at the strategic approach and how much Soul Revival fits into it is because even though we never intended to church plant, that's kind of what ended up happening because of forces outside of our control. And in being invited to church plant, we we ended up using the principles of soul revival and the lessons we'd learned in the youth ministry to try and see if we could adapt them to an adult context. So, for example, we planted our first church service on a Saturday night like we used to meet as youth leaders on a Saturday night as a youth group. We had meals at each of our services. Uh, each of our services were intergenerational, so we had kids and youth at each of the services and we actually had a kids ministry at each of the different gatherings and we still do to this day so i've been kind of asking that question not that i think churches have to send out the next generation to be a church plant as the only solution to cultural change i still think it's better if the youth ministry and the church can stay together and work on that together and my view is after rereading that chapter is i think center actually has that as a possible consequence when he says that a youth ministry can maybe create another service within the church or church plant. But I still think my difference with Centre is I think he's thinking homogeneous units a bit more than I am because he's thinking you know, each generation needs its own expression of Christianity. Whereas I'm thinking rather than the young people having their own expression, it would be lovely if the adults and the young people kind of meet in the middle uh, and that they carry on some of the traditions from the past and come with some of the new things of the culture now and work out how much of each of those to have based on having the Bible as our biggest authority. But the fun part was that as I told that to Tim, he's like, yeah, no, we're not strategic. (laughs) So I I think I've never ever suggested a title for online for what we should call this podcast, but it could be Feisty Podcast. Mark two, yeah. Because I think <laughs> I think Tim and actually I might, get feisty. Well, we might, yeah. Tim and I might disagree. Well, we just we that might just, be fun to listen to. Well, Tim brought it up when um, I arrived today. For, um, just as you know, staff Fridays is our staff day. We're all together, yep. and I and we had a you know we were talking just throwing it around because it was I was thinking about it during the week after you brought it up, Stu. Mm. And then I just also said like something I really value about us as a leadership team, and I think this is a credit to your leadership. Is that we are questioning it mm. and saying what what is actually going to not going on and do we actually believe this do we actually agree with it yeah, it's and good I point. think it's a really good way of sharpening us up mm. so I thought we could almost do our version of the four views of youth ministry where you yeah. you've thrown something out there and then Tim has a chance yeah. to actually yeah yeah so um, what do you think so revival yeah. and which what you, other people think which you know. so you have read Tim the uh, the strategic approach chapter of the four views of youth ministry and you made. Quite a number of notes. So. <laughs> I got so, excited. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, yeah. well, that's the thing, though, is that we're getting excited about yeah. ideas and trying to figure it out. So, I, I saw it's good this podcast. We're thinking together, 
like out loud together with everyone. So yep. we really want to include you in this thinking too. So please mm. feel free to interact with us on mm. it too. Sorry, yeah. Tim. Go no, on. no. Uh, so I, I sourced you on uh, Wednesday and and you had shared what you'd recorded mm. and then on the drive home from where we were on Wednesday, I listened to the episode uh, and just thought, no, that's not my recollection of the strategic <laughs> model at all. <laughs> or, or no, the, the, I think there's a significant difference. So I went home and I read it last night and, and yes, I then wrote three pages of notes. Um, <laughs> that's great. As I was thinking about it. But <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, I think first identify what um, I really appreciate about Centre. So first I... He is identifying that young people find it hard to integrate into adult expressions of church. Yes. So that, that's his defining problem, the question that he's trying to address. Um, and I want to yeah, just affirm that, yes, we, we notice that as well, um, that uh, it's hard for young people to integrate into older expressions of church. And particularly, he makes the comment that young people are not listened to until they turn 30. Uh, and by that time, most young people have checked out because they were ready to be listened to much, much earlier mm-hmm. um, and they weren't listened to, so why stay around? Um, I'd, there's no point being in this community that doesn't take me seriously. Um, and I think uh, that's a really good observation uh, and it, it was a, it's a good observation in the 90s. I think this was published 2000, 2001. So it's, it's a great observation in the 90s and I think in the last 20 years since then... Um, young people are even more and more used to expressing themselves and being heard. And so a lot of... Mm, I think that's true. ...internet yeah. 2.0, you know, that whole... I, I, you, know, you have primary school kids and high schoolers who are putting themselves out on TikTok, Facebook, yep. Instagram, YouTube. They're used to expressing themselves, being heard, getting feedback, contributing um, uh, and having a voice. Mm. And if you tell... It, it was already an issue... And if you tell this new generation 20 years yeah, later the same things that you're not going to be listening to until you're 30, mm. then there's, they're not going to stick around. They're not even going to last high school mm. um, if they don't have contributive purpose to um, their church. So I, I think like that phrase, contributive purpose. That's oh, you like phrase. that one? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, yeah. I don't mind it. I, think, I mean, sorry, it's a good phrase. It sounds, mm. It's a little academic and I, I'm trying to work out a better way of saying it. But anyway, <laughs> no, that's um, good. it's a good um, so uh, I think that he's identified the correct uh, Problem, or probably. a correct issue mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really helpful to notice. I'm not convinced on his solution. Partly it sounds like from his chapter that he's in a very different context to us. Yes, he is. Yeah. So a lot of the ministries, the youth ministries he talks about are parachurch organisations and so he talks a lot about young life and uh, what is it? Fellowship of Christian athletes, youth for Christ. So ministries outside the local church for those that don't know what a parachurch is. Yeah, that's right. And this, I don't see a lot of this in our context in Sydney. It, it, maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it happens in other contexts. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the primary Christian identity or the primary Christian community for these young people, these teenagers, is not in the local church ministry. Um, that it's happening in schools, it's happening in universities, it's happening in camp. He talks a lot about campus ministries, and I think he means both high school and university campus in that. And so there's a lot of these ministries, Christian expressions, that are happening outside the local church. And he's right then to identify that teenagers naturally graduate out of those expressions 
and have to land then in a church that they've never truly been a part of. And that's another thing that I think is correctly identified and it's a good thing to notice, that if they haven't embedded themselves well in the local church before they graduate from high school, then they're not going to graduate at the end of high school. And so I'm trying to think of what might be equivalent in our context. The only thing I could think of is something that's not happening, but I think ties in. Yeah, we have um, Ethan here on staff. He goes in and teaches a scripture in the local high school. He runs lunchtime group in the local high school. There's another um, teacher, Joanne, from another church who goes in and teaches scripture and is part of Chip Lunch as well. And it's almost as if the context that uh, Centre is describing is it's as if Ethan and Joanne have got these scripture classes and then these lunchtime groups and they're growing connected Christians in a community at the local high school. And then rather than helping those high school kids connect with their local church and their local youth ministry, they say, hey, how about this is our primary expression of church until you graduate high school. And then Centre's answer, this strategic approach is, don't let go of them at the end of high school. Allow them to continue to meet in this group somehow on the weekend perhaps or on an afternoon. And so you have continuity of discipleship between mm-hmm. Ethan and Joanne and all of these young people that they're discipling. And so the strategic approach sounds like you're saying to that group, hey, go and start a new church. Don't worry about trying to integrate into the other local churches that your families might be a part of or that might take you on and so i just think there's a there's a whole different paradigm that doesn't exist in our context that he's trying to describe Mm. so that was one of the things i don't know if you wanted to comment on that yeah i I think i think on that this might be the the feisty bit (laughs) (laughs) but i think (laughs) it's hard to get feisty with you because I, I think we agree on so many things. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like faux feisty. Um, I agree with you. It's a different context. And I think that he is speaking a lot about how do we integrate that parachurch and local church context again. Uh, in his writings, he's, uh, particularly in earlier writings from Four Views in his book called The Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry, Centre describes the birth of parachurch organisations, particularly the strengthening of that after the Second World War where local churches didn't seem to be reaching out to in mission as much. They were mm. spending all their time discipling young people. Mm-hmm. And so it was like Christians who were mission-minded filled the gap by starting Christian organisations on campuses like Youth for Christ and Young Life, etc. And so he describes that in the coming Revolution of Youth Ministry book, which is also a very important book. And in that he he sort of struggles with, well, how do we bring those two things together again? Like what, because obviously young people are going to graduate out of school or high school or uh, university. What's their local church expression look like after that? So I do agree with you at that level. He is trying to solve that problem. But the other thing I think he does in the book is talk about even in the local church, there's Mm. a, there's a lack of change that if young people do somehow find themselves in a local church where, where they've had a thriving youth ministry, how do you not lose them all in the end of high school, which often can happen even in Australia. So I think that context is similar. But I also think, now I don't, this isn't a full form thought, Tim so I'd, and, and Joel, so I'd be interested to see what you two think, but 
the way I look at the direction of some of the language I'm hearing from Christian schools in Sydney, particularly when I've gone to our Anglican Synod to go and listen to different presentations from schools, there's almost been a celebration of the fact that there are so many young people in our Christian schools there are some people arguing there's almost been this shift from the local church to the school and now it's our responsibility to do the mission of these young people because we've got far more teenagers in our schools than you have in your local churches. So there's almost a desire on behalf of some people in the Christian schooling movement for there to be a recognition of their ministry in that area, which I think is a really valid thing. But at the same time, I'm seeing nuances of that sort of attitude with Young Life and Youth for Christ. So that I'm hearing that, you know, you guys aren't doing mission in the local church, which I've heard people say, and now we are doing the mission in the in the Christian school. And so in local churches, I'm hearing youth ministers being told by parents, oh, we don't really need to bring our kid along to youth group on Friday because they go to school, that's their ministry. So in a very real way, it's a very similar thing that they're getting brought up with the Christian school teaching them their faith. But the problem with that is at the end of high school, where do they go? Now, I'm not advocating for the strategic model to be a solution to our problem here in Sydney, but I think that's where Centre does go with his approach. I agree with you there. And I think, even though I was saying I think we there are some areas of resonance between Soul Revival and Centre's approach, I wouldn't say that we've completely just taken on his approach and done it, because we didn't, because we would have left Guy Mir a long time ago, but we didn't. We didn't want to leave. Um, but when, when, he, when he talks about that, I, I think it's not only restricted to Christian schools, there's also uh, some parachurch groups in Australia uh, we have a thing called Christian Surfers, and I know that the desire of the leaders of Christian Surfers over many generations is that the kids that the church isn't reaching will be kids that they can reach by going on the beach and running a church for them on the beach, really. Mm. Their desire at Christian Surfers is to see those kids go to the local churches. But in my experience of many years of being in the Sutherland Shire, which is a surfing culture and a surf beachside community, we haven't seen a lot of kids from Christian Surfers going into schools uh, sorry coming into the youth groups and coming into the churches so i think that's a disconnect there too again i'm not advocating that the solution be that that christian surfers start their own churches and they're not saying that either the last thing i would say is also i think our university ministries have nuances of young life and youth for christ still because when i went to uni right back in the late 80s i was told when i went to my university ministry hey your church has brought you up but now we're really going to teach you the bible and we want you to really commit to our ministry and if that means you don't have time to do youth leadership at your own church or kids ministry at your own church see it as like a break to be trained by us so that we can teach you how to to do ministry and there's a very real uh, mission going on in our universities huge mission going on in our universities so those groups almost have a life of their own as well so there are nuances not at all suggesting it's the same as america like you're saying but but i think there's a similar problem there but i think last week and we'll come back to what you think about that but last week i was more focusing on the local church than the parachurch yeah. problem uh in my mind i've i've disconnected that for the moment and said okay that's a problem over here what do we do with kids who go to a christian school they've got all their friends at the christian school they might go to different youth groups with their friends from school, but they don't really plug into a local church in a really strong, meaningful way other than going to church with their parents. They could be in danger of being sidelined and being feeling like they're not really part of the church. They are part of their school community and they feel very much discipled by their school community that may have even missioned to them as well. But then when they graduate, where do they go? 
and I'm interested in the statistics of how many kids who go to Christian schools end up in Christian local churches. I don't know that anyone's done any statistical research on that. They may have, but I'd be very interested in that stat because my, my thought is that today for me, it's like, is there an element though? What, well, the, the big thing for me today is how do we, how do we get our, uh, our young people and our adult Christian members to work together. That's mm. the whole idea of the shock absorber. <clears throat> and does, I suppose in my thinking last week, Tim, is does the strategic approach actually give me more theoretical tools than I thought it did? I think that's where I'm at, mm. yeah. It's interesting that you also, we're talking about the importance of the local church and that it's almost like a disconnect between a number of other different ministries, whether mm. it's parachurch or mm. Christian schools or other things like that. Mm. So I was going to say that maybe we can um, continue the conversation and talk about like why is it so important to have young people growing up uh, embedded, as you said, Tim, in a, in a local church. Why do you think that's important? Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that the action is in the local church. Mm, me too. Uh, and that that's where the... The, the locus of ministry needs to be, that the focus of ministry needs to be in the local church. And all these other things, um, I think, would are best done when they come out of the local church, um, as in their ministries of the local church, and then they feed back in. There's a, there's a loop back into the local church. And I see the same problem with um, Christian schools and with Anglican schools, and I've heard that same language around uh, the mission of the Anglican church is in our Anglican schools. Mm. And to me, it seems futile because, mm. again, you're putting your, mis- your missional elements into a Christian expression, which is naturally limited, as in you, every single child will graduate out of that. Just by age, yeah. Just by mm. age. Um, and if that has been the focus and it hasn't been a partnership with the local churches, with that school and helping to feed into each other... Uh, then you do end up with all of these Christians who may have had firm faith, may have been discipled really well by chaplains and Christian studies mm. teachers and principals and other exec who really deeply disciple these young people. And that's it. There's a lot of really good ministry absolutely. goes on in school. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that it isn't. Yeah. No. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was at a Christian school. My kids are at a Christian school, so I'm not anti-Christian schools. My wife teaches at a Christian school. Yeah, so <laughs> there's, there are great things that happen there, and there is good discipleship that happens there. But if that is the primary expression of Christian community for those young people, mm. then they will graduate out of that. And that's where the problem that centre's trying to address comes from, that you've got this disconnect then. They don't have a local church that they've been deeply embedded into um, that has been more primary in discipleship than all of the excellent ministry that they've had at the different Anglican schools, Christian schools, whatever it is. So, yeah, I absolutely resonate with that and I have the same fears that you do, Stu, on the, mm. the language that we use around that and the shortcomings that that presents. Um, I think that the as I'm reading through the strategic approach again, I think, as she said last week, that we sort of accidentally pushed into the strategic approach. So, as she mentioned last week on the podcast... That at Soul Revival. At Soul Revival, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. At Soul Revival. So... Um, your commitment had been never to leave Gaimi. That's right. Um, yeah. And so you had wanted to grow 
young people up into the life of the church yes mm. yep. uh, and for that to shape the entire life of the church and for mm. us to continue in life together um, and I saw that all the time in the way that you were constantly inviting uh, the older generations into our expression and inviting us into those expressions I remember there was a couple of times where after a late Saturday night uh, we'd all get excited and say hey let's all turn up to the 7:30 prayer book service and suddenly this prayer book service that had exclusively 70, 80, 90 year olds was suddenly uh, flooded with all these teenagers. Mm. Um, and they're yeah, like, why are you yeah. here? And we're like, because we love you guys. We actually want to be in relationship with you. We actually mm. want to be sharing the gospel with you. And this is weird and we don't understand why we're standing up and sitting down. We don't understand what all the words <laughs> are and why the minister's in a dress, but we're happy to put up with that. Wow. So that... <laughs> Um, so that we could actually enjoy this with each other. So, um, I suppose that's your perspective as a young dude. Yeah, that's, what that's right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so I, I saw you trying to do that, but as you explained last week really clearly, uh, the, there came a time where the senior minister said, no, stri- strategically, not, not the same use of the word, intentionally we're going to press into the homogeneous unit principle um, and that there was just a natural point where it didn't make sense anymore for the the striving of intergenerational ministry that had happened through Soul Revival to fit in that church anymore. And, and you explained that really well last week. People can go back and listen to it. So what did happen was that you as the youth minister with a, a probably at least two generations worth of young people that had been discipled through you and Jai and Matt and Fee um, and others, uh, and then each other through the, through the generations, uh, were the core team of the new plant. So there is a way where you can look at the history of Soul Revival ministry as a youth community and church over the last 10 years, and you go, ah, oh, that's exactly what Centred is describing. I think it is. I think it's exactly what Centred is describing. My concern with it is... We didn't do that intentionally. I think it was right for not to do it intentionally. And there are things about the way there are priorities that centre centres <laughs> positions uh, that I make me really uncomfortable uh, in the way that he positions using the strategic approach as an intentional model of youth ministry. Mm. Uh, what do you think, Stu? Would it be more of a like a, just an unintended mm. uh, happening? Yeah, I think Tim's really summarised well what I was trying to say last week, which is we didn't intend to use it as a a way to solve the differences in culture in our local church. We didn't think to ourselves that we need to leave and start a church. That is that is right. Um, his centre's model does seem to suggest that that is the way to solve problems of different cultures within the church. Uh, so I do take that on board and what I love about this podcast is we are thinking out loud and that's really challenging what you just shared with um, what I'm trying to think through is even though Centre is saying this is the way to go forward I think what I was trying to say last week is I still see value in the way he describes our strategic approach and how effective it is to plant a church with a strategic approach and I see that there was some benefits that came to us using some of the principles of the strategic approach in hindsight. So we were involving young people in leadership from an early age. We were listening to young people. I mean, back in 1994, we started a thing called, might have even been, no, 1993, which is two years after we started, 
or a year after we started, that we were we started a group called the Commitments, and what we realised we needed to do is we had these youth leaders that were running this community for senior teenagers and young adults, but they didn't have a voice. So we said, why don't we say that all committed Christians can have a voice? If you come before the group starts for an hour beforehand, come to commitments. We're going to pray together. We're going to open the scriptures together. And we're just going to talk about our ministry. We're going to work on the ministry yeah. each week rather than work in it. And you young people can talk about it. And that sometimes got ludicrously difficult because <laughs> there was so many issues being brought up. And I tried to solve that by, oh, let's have an issue book. And, and then that, <laughs> that went out of control. There was all these issues. Oh, I have an issue. And it became a bit negative. But then we got rid of the issue book and then it became... But, but we're asking really important questions like single young adults were saying, you know, I feel a bit lonely when I see other young adults, you know, in couples and how they express themselves publicly makes me feel sad that I, I'm, I'm single. I don't feel like we're validating my singleness. And, and, you know, looking back, that was, I think we all took all that really seriously. And mm. we're like, well, that is, a, but <clears throat> I mean, how often do young people have a chance to express that kind of a detailed issue in a church and so center does seem to have room in his approach for that sort of a context where young people can actually have a valid voice at the beginning Mm. like that i think that's a really good thing um i think i also like the idea of how i think i've read in the chapter tim and i'd like to hear what your thoughts are I, i think when i first read it in the 2000s my impression was what you've just described today but i think i see something in his approach that is a little less uh, extreme than the the youth are never going to be able to be in the church and they have to leave the church to go and plant a church. He also talks in the chapter about or plant a new service in the church. Now, two things on that is our ministers at Guaymi allowed us to preach and lead the service on Sunday night. And I remember how he used to laugh at how raucous it had become at some stages when all these Gen Xs were turning up to church and it was a bit noisier than it used to be. Uh, when before some of the young people had ministry roles in in that uh, the music was modified quite significantly when our music leaders were Gen Xers rather than baby boomers things like that so I, I see a bit of a sense that got me in the early days a sense of yeah come we'll embrace you in the evening service and the evening service went from 80 people to around 260 people so many people that they were sitting outside the windows and out into the car park and the, i remember the wardens setting up chairs outside the church in the hallways outside the church so people could one at each window so people could sit at the windows and we fitted <laughs> another 20 people into the service that way and that was really fun the youth announcements themselves became a cultural setting moment in the service where we used to celebrate being young and being a Christian, stuff like that, which has nuances of what I think Centre imagines. And also the Saturday night gathering that we had was a uniquely Gen X gathering at church. It was never a service. We did ask in 2000 if we could do a Saturday night service, but the church said, no, that's not where they wanted to go. But in So we kept going on Saturday and Sunday because in the 2000s we were starting to get pretty tired going on Saturday Sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week to church. So, um, but we did see the Saturday thing as a separate thing, like our own social time. But we we did have that reality, and we did even get uh, given permission to have an offsite facility where we rented a factory for seven years, and the thirty five thousand dollars a year that it cost to rent that factory was maintained through the youth ministry. So we used to charge the kids five bucks a week, and they used to come along, and that used to mean that we could have that so so there were some nuances there with the strategic approach i wouldn't say that 
exact, I'm exactly on board with you that we weren't intending to plant a church. But now I'm starting to think because of the fact that the church allowed us to do some of these new forms and were letting us experiment and it was working at holding us together and we did travel together for 20 years that maybe we were more aligned with that option of doing a service within the church. Now, having said that, I still think we weren't saying we can't go to any other church services. We have to have our own service. And that's why I think that story of going to the early morning service, many people kept going after that uh, quite regularly to the 7.45 service. I think it was all 7.30 uh, to the traditional service. Early. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, I suppose I'm still, I'm slightly more convinced of your position after what you said, <laughs> but I still think I'm still thinking that, option that he has of the church young people staying at the church but initiating new programs within the church that are different to what the adults would have done i think that could mean that what we did was that's kind of what we did i don't know what your thoughts on that are yeah i think again part of what he's arguing is what you said earlier that i i think he seems quite pessimistic yeah that there's any chance that the generations will accommodate each other and will actually grow together uh, and he talks about it in terms of the complexity of the youth culture so he said he writes that the complexity of the world is complicated by a distinct youth culture there is such complexity in the world of young people the parents find their culture difficult to comprehend and more challenging to respond to and it seems that out of that he says and therefore don't try Therefore, allow the young people to have their own expressions, to do their own thing, because uh, essentially parents will never get it. And, th- and that seems to be his a driving question. And I, that uh, just seems to me as if it's the exact opposite of the shock absorber, where we're trying to say, no, 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 it, because some of the older generations might find it difficult and challenging to respond to the current cultural climate, therefore bring the generations closer together so that by drawing generations close together they actually have the opportunities to be together Mm. and to actually allow each other to shape each other Um, and it's interesting he talks about that um, the where is it Um, uh, cutting edge relevance to the spiritual needs experienced by people of all ages provides a basis for an ecclesiology upon which a new church can be built. So he's saying that there are cultural challenges, and you talk about them as being like bumps in the road, yep. that um, there's these cultural bumps in the road that the car of the church is going over and it's the shock absorbers that help limit those bumps. Uh, and I just find it strange that he would say, well, all generations experience these cultural bumps, um, but because they're so disconnected, the youth culture is so strong and so different to the culture of their parents and those who are older that therefore uh, it's not worth uh, trying to bring them together. Just let the parents' generation and older people just do their thing. They're not welcoming the teenagers. They don't want to change and they don't understand youth culture. And so therefore the best way is don't frustrate the young people by trying to bring them into relationship with the older people um, instead, uh, ease that frustration by just allowing them to create their own spaces. So it seems to me as if he perpetuates the homogeneous mm. unit principle 
by saying, no, each generation will come. And again, this is 30 years ago. It'd be interesting to see what he would say now that we're another two generations later. Should each of those generations spin off into their own expressions? Because mm. he's writing in the 1990s. So he's talking about uh, basically my generation, so the, the early millennials, mm. being the ones who are not going to interact. But we've now got late millennials. We've now got... Um, generation Z, we've now got, I mean, our kids are now alphas. Um, should each of those spin off into new expressions? Because we can't expect millennials to understand alphas. Um, it would be uh, alpha culture um, with TikTok is so different to millennial culture who are still all on Facebook. Uh, and so therefore, because their cultural is so different don't frustrate the alphas by trying to bring them into the millennial expressions of church let them spin off into their own thing and i just think that that seems to be counter what we have talked about as the shock absorber model uh and it's it's also just seems to perpetuate in my mind there's continue to have homogeneous expressions because trying to bring generations together is just going to frustrate them it's not going to work and you're just going to lose teenagers out the other end and I feel like that we've spent 30 years saying, no, 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 uh, it is hard, it's not easy, but we actually want to help, help every generation travel through those cultural bumps in the road by bringing together the generation so that you have the benefit of the strength of the shock absorber and the flexibility of the young people. But if you keep siphoning off young people to have their own expressions of church... Um, then you just continue to siphon off the flexibility without necessarily a strong maturity and you leave those who may be mature but inflexible to continue to be inflexible as they go on in their Christian journey as well. And so that's where I think um, uh, I, I've got uh, concerns with that approach. But just to throw one more thing in and I'll, I'll chuck to you again. I'm wondering, this is just coming to me as we talk, whether the strategic approach may be a poor youth ministry model, it may be a great church planting model. And maybe if we differentiate those two things from each other, mm. I'm perhaps seeing, I'm more optimistic <laughs> perhaps of the strategic model as a, as a church planting model, but not something necessarily that we want to advocate that youth ministry should necessarily follow. Do you understand that distinction? I think that's very interesting. Mm. I think I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> I think what my first impression, though, is I think I think in the conversation we started pretty closely, then we drifted apart a bit more, and I think we're ending a bit closer together again because <laughs> I think you've really helpfully given me language for what I think I'm trying to look for, which is there is there was a lot of benefit for the church plan of Soul Revival Church to plant out of revival youth ministry even though we never intended to do that because we did take a group of people who'd been traveling together for quite a few years who really trusted each other and were all on the same page as each other to be able to be theologically aligned and strategically aligned to also have a lot of trust with each other to work together and church planning is really hard and we st started a church plant with no money no place to meet and just ourselves really and I think they call it base jump church planning because if the parachute doesn't open there's no safety net you just got to work or not and it did get traction 
And I think uh, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I also think that as we look forward in our church plant, I think what I liked about the strategic model is we are a church planting church. We're going to continue to church plant and maybe we think about teams of or cohorts of people who've gone through youth ministry together as parts of those leadership teams that plant new churches. That might be a really Mm. good way forward for us. But also... I'm still thinking that the resonance I have with the strategic approach is giving young people an opportunity to have continuity and to have discipleship that goes for a long time, to be on mission together, to have something to do together. And all of those factors are present in our youth ministry model. And I think the fact that we did create some new adult expressions. I used to think at Guyme it was almost like a glass ceiling over the top of us mm. that we could only experiment so much as a youth ministry. Mm. And my encouragement to the rest of the staff in our team and my senior minister was I, I kept engaging saying, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if we all keep think, looking at these principles we're coming up with? Some of them aren't helpful, some of them aren't, but can't we cherry pick some of the good things that's happening in the youth ministry and try them in the adult community? expressions to see if we can get some more synergy going on across the church uh and rightly so the senior minister used to say oh up to a point you know let's make this just a youth ministry though because of the commitment to the homogeneous unit principle but since we've been freed from that principle of the homogeneous unit principle we don't need to do that anymore there's a sense that you can when you can do things holistically the strategic approach changes into something that's a conversation amongst all the generations and you know i was only saying to our youth minister and Friday night gathering coordinators the other day that it'd be really good to get some teenagers on our council to Mm. be coordinators in our council because it's one thing to have kids in church and even reading the bible and praying but wouldn't it be great to have their voices in the council and they were initially cautious about that but I'm like I think it'd be great like let's let's get them in there and you know let's be the shock absorber in the council so I think that there is a nuance of strategic approach in that Mm. kind of thinking I think so I personally think this is probably a good place to end this particular conversation on the point you made of maybe it's not a great model for youth ministry, but if it's a church planning model that's being conducted in consultation and participation and partnership with the whole church, maybe that gives it a different focus. Because the ch- if the church is actually setting it up, and this is what I wonder if Centre is saying to give him a bit more benefit of the doubt there, He's kind of saying that the leadership of the church lead that youth ministry decision, yes, not the youth yeah. ministry saying we want to plant a church. It's like, hey, we value you. We want you to grow up either in this. Yeah. But I do agree with you. He's still thinking in the homogeneous unit principle. So our our shock absorber, I think, is a step. I, I've got to work out now. Maybe next week we can, t- we can talk about it because I think I need a bit of time to think about it. <laughs> but is the shock absorber a new model or is an extension of the – the, and a, a more healthy expression of the strategic approach. That's something that would be good to think about. Something that I was thinking about when we were talking about earlier this morning was we speak about, you spoke last week about the four views of youth ministry um, that Sorrow Bible takes parts of that. And we've also talked about how sometimes we've said, oh, we do church just a little bit differently. I feel like, the sh- I think from what you say, I think the shock absorber is a model. That's how I kind of see it because it is you're doing the cherry picking thing a little bit like you're saying, but the shock absorber model kind of describes accurately, I think, how we're actually doing it all. So whether it is youth ministry or 
church planning or whatever, it's shock absorber. That's where I've kind of landed to a certain degree, but mm. I don't know if that's where you're, you guys are at at the moment, but that was kind of a thought that I had this morning, but I don't know. See, that's where I've been for a long time. Yeah. Last week but I somehow I'm started to, to shoehorn the shock absorber more into the strategic approach, mm. and I think this is a really helpful conversation because it's also hopefully demonstrating to broader, uh, you know, context of people who are listening, you know, for you to be thinking, what am I doing on the ground and how is it fitting into what other people have done yeah. and what, what they've been doing, but what am I learned? Like, what are the new things that I'm doing that I haven't seen done before? I think mm. hopefully we're giving permission to people to try new things and yeah. to see what they come up with as well. I think by doing that, though, you're also modelling the shock absorber because you're allowing yeah, other maybe. ideas to come yeah. in. Yeah, that's true, actually. And it is a shock absorber. Like Mark Center, in yeah. a sense, <laughs> Mark Center is an older Christian, or he, I don't know actually how old he is, sorry, so I shouldn't, but he's, he's an older Christian than I am, for example, so he's seen what he's experienced and written about it, but you're testing those ideas against mm. what you've experienced as a, as a youth mm. minister and then as a, um, a senior pastor of a church. Mm. And I think it's the same, what we're doing right now, it's, it, we're doing exactly the same thing. So I think that's why it might be why I'm saying that's where I've landed, but... Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, as a, <coughs> a way to wrap up the episode, we had a, a question come in from last mm. week's episode, which was really cool. So thank you very much to Aaron who wrote in. Um, Aaron's actually coming on the podcast in a few weeks. Oh, so, cool. Um, <coughs> excuse me. He's from, uh, he goes to Anchor Church in the Northern Beaches. But his point that he wanted to bring up was the uh, pastor who originally planted Anchor City, which was the first uh, location for Anchor Church, Matt Sparks. He was previously a youth minister under Ray Galea at Rudy Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually uh, was given a blessing to go and plant a church with some of the people from the youth group. Yep. Um, and Ray said, and sorry, Aaron says that Ray set up a mini board um, to oversee what Matt was doing as he planted, which is something that you talked about last week as well, being an important thing to have that accountability. Yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> Aaron's question was, would the Anglican Diocese allow for this type of multiplication to occur in areas where there are already parishes? And that's something I'm not qualified to answer at, at all. What do you guys think? I don't think any of us are qualified to answer <laughs> that. As in, none of us work at a position in the diocese mm. that are making those kind of decisions. Mm. Um, to reflect on Aaron's question, I think it sounds... I don't know this story. Uh, mm. I know MBM and I know Ray but I don't know this story. But uh, it sounds as if they have done exactly the strategic model. Um, And just to affirm what Stu said earlier and and to affirm Centre, uh, he is advocating that it is a whole church approach. Uh, He's not advocating for piracy, that, Mm. you know, the the young people rise up and revolt Mm. and, you know, leave and say, oh, you old people, you never let us do anything. Mm. It's got to come from the leadership. Yeah, Mm. so he is Centre absolutely And that's why we didn't do it, because the leadership didn't send us out. So that's that, right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're in yeah. this case, uh, Aaron's talking about they they were gave the full blessing for it as well. And, and that's yeah. yeah. So I think what it's what it sounds like is that um, MBM have done exactly what Sensor would champion, which is that they've uh, given a, a a qualified youth minister who has runs on the board, who has done lots of discipleship and ministry, who has uh, people who he wants to continue in continuity to discipleship with they together go out and church plant and i think that that is a real strength of this approach um and as i said i I do think i'm more convinced uh after this conversation and an earlier conversation um that we had before we started recording that it 
it is a good approach to church planting because what you plant with is a group of people who have long history together, who are committed to each other, committed to growing in Christ together, uh, most likely committed to a strategy of church together, so both theology, strategy and practice, uh, and doing that together. And it sounds like that's happening here. So uh, it sounds very exciting. I look forward to hearing from Aaron and and Mm. seeing how that went. Mm. Uh, But, yeah, in terms of his exact question, um, yeah, I don't think any of us are qualified to answer that. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add to that is I agree with Tim. We're not qualified to answer that. But at the same time, looking back historically, the Anglican Church has been okay with MBN planting a church. And the Anglican Church, uh, a, a bishop and ENC invited us to plant a, a church from Guaymere. It wasn't explicitly a youth ministry from Guaymere, but it just happened to be predominantly a youth ministry team. By the way, we did leave people at Guaymere too. There was there was yes. still 30 youth leaders left at Guaymere Anglican when we started Soul Revival Church, and there were still 100 teenagers uh, there when we left and not all the youth leaders wanted to come with us. A lot of them wanted to stay at Guaymere so we could have two strong churches. I think that's worth noticing too because we didn't take the whole youth group. Mm. And in fact, we didn't start a youth group at Soul Revival for a year after we left because we didn't want to impede Guaymere Anglican's adjustments to us not being there. And interestingly enough, I asked if it would be all right if my son Ethan, who was in year nine at the time, could go to the middle group middle year group called rev 21 because he'd always wanted to be in rev 21 because because <laughs> um, he loved one of his um uh one of the youth ministers tim baldwin so much he started rev 21 so uh that was that was really uh special um but yeah coming back to the question like i think the anglican church through enc is planting churches mm-hmm. in and and the whole city of sydney is is um divided up into parishes so that is a question we're having Uh, i'm actually on a committee to talk about how do we church plant and protect church boundaries at the same time what does that look like so there's an ongoing conversation from synod's point of view uh, about you know how do we do that well Um, i think in the past sometimes we haven't done it real well sometimes we do it better um, in and and sometimes we do it well sometimes in the past churches have just turned up and no one knew they were going to turn up and those sort of things aren't ideal, but I think, I think there is and one of the reasons we're having this conversation is this is a conversation to have. Mm. Um, how do we see young people stay in churches? Is this one of the ways, or is it not? And also, how do we plan churches that are viable and robust that work as a church amongst churches with all the other churches around them, so they're all friends and they're working together? That's what I'd love to see happen. Mm. Yeah, I think that's cool. That's a good way to end. Um, even though we couldn't fully answer Aaron's question. Mm. Though I think it's, again, a conversation to keep having. Uh, mm. Consequently, uh, Aaron has a podcast called Aspire where he talks to people about getting into uh, paid ministry. So check that out if you want to. And um, I think we can also wrap up this episode. If you do have any other questions like Aaron, though, you can email me as he did at joel at shockazorba.com.au and we'd be very happy to keep uh, contributing to the discussion as I think we have today. I've really enjoyed listening to you guys go back and forth about things. I think, again, it's a model a modeling of the shock absorbers of listening to each other which, good is, point. which is really two cool. generations talking about it yeah, yeah exactly so um thank you very much mm. Stu. thank you for tim thank you and uh thank you producer eck who always puts these podcasts together and we will always finish with a one way one, one way, way. One way.